Hello and welcome to Interval, the Norwich Theatre Royal podcast. With a new episode releasing each month, this show will bring you exclusive news, views, interviews and behind-the-scenes content. We'll have the latest information for shows and events at Norwich Theatre Royal, Norwich Playhouse and our Learning and Participation Centre, Stage 2. If you're interested in the performing arts in Norfolk, then this is the podcast for you. In this month's episode, we were lucky enough to chat to Matthew Bourne about his passionate and contemporary reimagining of Romeo and Juliet. Literary icon Armistead Mopar is poised for an early autumn visit to us, but why is he and his work so loved? We'll be asking three people that question. And the Norwich Theatre Royal Youth Company takes a gritty play which explores the nature of friendship, celebrity and success down to the Playhouse this summer. And that's where we begin this month's podcast. Pull No Water is penned by acclaimed playwright Mark Ravenhill and takes to the Norwich Playhouse stage on August the 2nd and 3rd. It sees a famous artist invite her old friends to her luxurious new home. As the group comes back together, the celebrations come to an abrupt end when the host suffers a horrific accident. As she lies in a coma, an unthinkable plan takes shape. Could her suffering be a future work of art? I caught up with two of the cast in rehearsals, Charlotte Woolsey and Libby Watson, to find out a bit more about this play. So it's a very interesting play because there are no set characters. So it's a long monologue through the whole play, looking at um, a group of artists that um, have this friend who has been in an accident involving a pool with no water. Um, So essentially, it's not necessarily based around jealousy, but it almost is. There is this one artist who is thriving and in their community she is like the it artist and the rest of the friends have some kind of connection to her and whether they're jealous whether they think she's a bad person whether they think she's a good person you know they're all very very different but um, they all have this connection to this artist so this artist has separated herself from the group she's moved away she's created a life for herself and she essentially invites these friends to come and see her new life. And I think as things don't really go to plan, do they too much? No, definitely not. And I think each, our own characters we've made from this have such a different response. And it's really interesting to mm. see that and how one person can hate this lady, but another can feel absolutely horrified at what she has to go through. It's really abstract. I've never seen anything like no. it. So jealousy is a theme. I'm guessing friendship is a theme as well, and how friendship <laughs> mm. changes. Are there other sort of themes within it too, or are those the two main themes? I think almost they're at the point where they are beyond friendship. They're almost a family, like they've got quite a strong family unit. They are very connected to each other. So I think it's just the idea of also selflessness I have a feel because even the people who are standing up for her they're being selfless in the sense that they are standing up for her and they're defending her when everybody else is against her and the people who are against her are being selfless because they're standing up for the rest of the group so I think that that is a really really important issue yeah so the creative process has been quite interesting as well <laughs> because it's just it's, it's a, a line of or not a line but it's just dialogue no particular lines are attributed to any particular character so how's that work in terms of 
to be honest it was a really big challenge that mm. we all as young actors hadn't really faced before um but as we kind of delved into the script more got to grips with the plot line a bit more it was then quite apparent how we were going to take the characters and what lines felt best for each person so it's all kind of s slotting into place now mm. and it's got a really good shape to it mm. and developing character because you've been able to do that as well actually not just develop a character but create a character as well you touched on that earlier tell us a bit more about that well our directors have been really good as when they were handing out lines obviously because there aren't distinct characters when they were handing out lines they've set the lines so we each have a character and they've said go away look at the lines we've given you and build on that and so we kind of had like a little project to ourselves where we could go away we could look at our lines we could you know annotate our scripts with like perspective of our character like all of those kind of things so yeah i think it was we this has given us the opportunity to really explore ourselves as well because looking at the character you then find things you relate to them which you can see the difference of how much work people put in because to begin with the lines were very almost just delivered how we thought they needed to be but we've stripped that back now and we we're not acting what our directors say is don't act and that sounds ridiculous but just feel it and i think that's what we're getting at now Mm. We're feeling our characters, not acting them. Because you've got two directors, which should say as well. You've got Mish Montague and Peter Beck. So they both, mm -hmm. I guess, bring different things to the creative process for you as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the big thing is just high energy because it's such an abstract play, because it's not something people would usually choose to see or like be like, yeah, let's definitely go and see that. It's not well known. It's so important that the audience can engage with it. Um, especially because there aren't like named characters from the get-go like it's so important that we have such high energy and we are eye-catching and watchable essentially yeah. yeah and that we are fully committed to what we are doing and with our two directors Mish and Peter they have such different ideas but they mm. bounce off each other which is brilliant because you get a sense of like I don't know how to say like you get a really good grip of different ideas which work so well together and coincide really well yeah they collaborate really well yeah. and sometimes it's like one of them will have an idea one of them will have a completely different idea but when they put the two of them together even though at the time they sound crazy they just work so well together completely yeah but it gives us the opportunity to have that freedom to think outside of the box because as we said it is very abstract that we we can't play it safe with this play because otherwise the audience would be bored so mm -hmm. we need to keep them engaged in the most interesting way we can and how have you two as performers adapted to this i mean i think back to 12 months ago where we were putting finishing to, or working on greece which is about different from this <laughs> you possibly get how have you found doing a piece like this and preparing for peace and working on the characterization as compared to perhaps a musical like greece as an example i think with musicals because the rehearsal process is quite separated and if you're chorus like we were we were already we were given our characters and we were given songs to learn and dances to learn this is all us this is our project you know we've had to put in the extra work at home you know understanding our characters like you said so this is all us this isn't us being told what to do i mean obviously we have direction but it's like it's we have more creative input 
Yeah, definitely. But also this is our time to find who we are as actors because mm-hmm. it's it's lovely doing musicals or at school, like we do very similar things. Here, this is probably the first time we've been able to broaden out and try new things. Like this is a safe environment and we all have really developed over this term. Um, I know personally me, I've found new things as an actor that I've never known I could do before, which I think that's really special that you can feel safe around these people in your cast to create such an amazing piece. And the fun thing I was going to ask, Paul Noewater, as you mentioned to me earlier, isn't a play that everybody knows. There might be people listening mm. to this who maybe even feel a bit intimidated by it. What's your message to me if they're umming and ahhing whether or not to come and see it? I think sometimes with us, when we first read the play, it just seemed like a big risk. Like it was like, it can either go one way or the other. And I think I would say the same thing to the audience, but I'd be like, it's a risk worth taking because so far throughout our rehearsal process, we've connected to it in a way that we didn't think that we ever could. And we just have, and everything that we're showing is not only our characters, but part of it is us. Like we put a little bit of us into everything that we do. So I think audiences should just come and see it, take that risk. And I honestly think they'll be quite impressed because there's nothing quite like it. I've never seen anything or been part of anything quite like it. I honestly think they will be lost for words, but not in a bad way, in a good way, (laughs) because I think there are so many twists and turns and you don't know how, like we are drawing that audience in and then throwing them back out again in such an impactful way. And it might seem intimidating, but that risk is amazing because it's you get a real adrenaline rush from it. It's unpredictable. Definitely. And you can catch Pool No Water at Norwich Playhouse on August the 2nd and 3rd. It's suitable for age 14 plus. Now, it may just have been reinvented and rebooted for Netflix, but Tales of the City's been a much-loved story for over four decades. A newspaper serial turned book turned TV series has delighted, reassured and entertained generations of people with its story of those who find solace and sanctuary at 28 Barbary Lane amid the hedonism, excitement and drama of San Francisco. Armistead Mopan, who created the characters, comes to the Theatre Royal this autumn to give his observations on society and the world we inhabit. I caught up with three people who love his work, to find out why he's described as one of America's ultimate storytellers. Armistead Mopar is something of a literary trailblazer. His Tales of the City series shone a light on the people living real lives in 70s San Francisco. While they were undoubtedly works of fiction, they were inspired by the people he knew and the experiences he had. The core of the novels was 28 Barbary Lane, where Anna Madrigal took in those lacking direction, shelter, love, or all three, leading to a host of misadventures. As well as very tangled love lives, contemporary issues also came into sharp focus, like activism, LGBT rights, and the spectre of HIV and AIDS. For writer, director, performer and Norwich Pride stalwart Joe Ballard, these strong characters were a key part of the attraction of Mopar's work. I like to think I'm a bit of nearly all the characters, because what, what's funny is some of the characters are stereotypes, and when I was 17, I was really aware of not turning into a gay stereotype, and it's like I was fighting it. And it's like when you get 
gay guys saying, oh, do I look gay in this? And I'm like, but you are gay. And, and that, all that thing. But I, I was fighting a stereotype for a while, let alone I've become a drama teacher and a musical theatre buff, and that aside. But um, I think some of the characters are stereotypical, but they, they have their place in the story. But I found all of the characters have something, and they've all got their vulnerabilities. So it's very much like you see these out and loud characters, or these characters that, that have done some amazing things, or crazy things you would never dream of but they've all got a vulnerability. The style of the books and their window on a new world also appealed to Chris Gribble, chief executive of the Norwich-based National Centre for Writing. I, I think the, the cast of characters is always really appealing, the broad cast of characters, the kind of the weaving in and out of the stories, the coming back to characters over periods of years. It's really nice to be able to pick up individuals' stories and make the connections across the plot. San Francisco, you know, it's a brilliant kind of part of the narrative and a real part of the context and the scene and the atmosphere. Um, I think for me, I, I kind of, I like the fact that you can kind of tell that they are written contemporaneously, so they were published in serial form in a newspaper and compiled effectively as novels in the early instances. So that's that Dickensian sense of creating a narrative as it goes, and, it's, and it, it dictates the pace, and it dictates the chunks of attention that are given to each element of the narrative. And strangely, I think that kind of with the kind of temptation towards shorter forms and instantaneous gratification of social media and short-form reading, it's even more attractive to readers today than it might have been then. One of the key themes of Armistead's work was the idea of the logical family, i.e. a group of close friends who take on those roles in lieu of blood relatives who may not be around. Joe Ballard said that's really important too. And yeah, I think that's really important. So um, we talk about the LGBT plus community a lot and here in Norwich we've got a great community and a great Norwich pride, but um, community is so important because some of us who are LGBT plus don't have our biological families with us anymore where they've chosen even not to have you part of it. Um, I've been really, really lucky with my family, but I've got friends who haven't got that. So they're making their own families around them. And I think that through the books, what Armstead finds is, is he creates these communities and this sense of family and this sense of belonging. And I think that's so important. And we talk about love for each other, like love by neighbour, if we're going to go into quite that. But Armstead talks about how we can love and respect each other and form that family around us. Um, we, we've spoken about you can choose your family but not your friends. Armistead is like you can choose your family and your family chooses you as well and I think that's really important. And that was important for me as a 17, 18 year old. But it's also important today because we're seeing discrimination rising its ugly head once again. Um, homophobia is on the increase. Pride is being questioned across the world. And this is actually when we go where is the community and where is that worldwide family of the LGBT plus uh, people who actually we can come together for that. Respected LGBT writer and author Neil McKenna first met Mopai himself over 30 years ago. An interview which paved the way for his lifelong respect for Armistead's creativity and skill. He was in London but just after Christmas, I think he was it was between Christmas and New Year, and I had a slot to go and see him at about 11 o'clock, probably the day after Boxing Day or something like that. And I basically spent that Christmas reading Tales of the City from start to finish. There were six volumes, and I read them all in about five days. And I thought they were absolutely wonderful, and I thought they were wonderful in lots of ways. They were wonderful because... First of all, the writing is fantastic. I mean, the quality of the writing is absolutely superb. And as someone who was then a young, aspiring writer, 
I was amazed at the elegance and control of his writing and the humor as well. So that, that was the first thing. The second thing was it was a saga, and it was a saga of life with, you know, in, in sort of gay San Francisco. And it was wonderful because it was, although it was fiction, it was also real. It was based on real lives. And, you know, the, 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 the characters were fictional characters, but they were clearly, you know, composites of, of, of real people. And the third thing was that it was very intimate. It was a very intimate portrait of contemporary gay life. And Neil believes the books were so important, mirroring the support and care of lead character Anna Madrigal. So the books were this kind of beacon of hope, of joy, of a gay community that had been formed. Somehow a vision for people then. And San Francisco seemed, in the West, seemed to represent a kind of idea and an ideal of a life that was possible for gay men. With Armistead himself set to step on stage at Norwich Theatre Royal itself on September 30th, Chris Gribble believes the opportunity to see him should not be missed. There's a really interesting tension between seeing in kind of in the flesh an author whose work you really love, because you're not seeing uh, kind of a piece of theatre that he's written in a performance, you're seeing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's kind of, you think, well, you know, what's, what's it going to be like? Uh, what, what, what am I going to learn more? Or how am I going to deepen my enjoyment of the books and characters and narratives by the things he might tell me? And it's really intriguing to think about kind of what stuff that, because as the author of all of these characters, as the guardian of their stories for decades, he would have kind of imagined stuff and drafted stuff and got rid of material that we as readers of the published books would never have thought of. Sitting out, exciting, So make a date to bring a flavour of 70s San Francisco to a Norwich autumn. Armistead Maupin comes to Norwich Theatre Royal on September the 30th. Now, one of the ultimate love stories is set to get a modern and passionate reimagining by top international choreographer and Norwich Theatre Royal favourite Matthew Vaughan. His new adventures company brings Romeo and Juliet to the stage from September the 3rd to the 7th. I caught up with Matthew during rehearsals to find out more. Well, let's go right back to the beginning, Matthew. I mean, what, what was it about the, the story of Romeo and Juliet that, that inspired you to create this production? Well, in a funny ways, a roundabout way, it wasn't really Romeo and Juliet uh, that inspired me to do it. I, I kind of avoided it for years. It was one of those ones that people expected me to do, and I kind of thought, oh, it's very overdone. You know, it's in all different mediums. It's been done so many ways and so in so many different styles and periods and... I thought it's going to be hard to find a way into it, you know, that's different, which is what I always search for. Um, but uh, the thing that really made me want to do it was kind of the working with young people on it. It's a story about young people. And um, I felt that that was a great impetus into Romeo and Juliet, which is, which is just, you know, about young love. So I got more excited when it was suggested that we cast it very young, that we work with young associates in all the creative departments of the show, um, alongside of my usual uh, world-class team that I work with. Um, 
So it was all about nurturing young talent as well as telling this story about young people. So that's what's got me excited about about the Romeo and Juliet uh, story. And, and you're telling it in quite a, a contemporary way as well. What was the, sort of the way in in terms of, of bringing this, the, the story to the stage from a, from a creative perspective? Well, as you know, I have to find something a bit different. I have to find a way in that feels that it's our version of it. Um, so we tend not to be very uh, reverential in terms of the story. <laughs> and, I, and, and obviously it's Shakespeare, but we're not using the Shakespeare because we're, we're, we're a, a non-verbal piece of theatre, you know. So the Shakespeare is there as an inspiration of the story, but not the words. So it feels you can be quite free with it. And um, I, I felt that if it was about contemporary young people, I'd kind of wanted to, who I would be working with on the production, it would be good to set it in these times. We've sort of set it slightly in the future, possibly, not very far in the future, maybe. It's not sort of futuristic, I would say, but um, it's sort of a time when society is frowning on sort of uh, young people who have an excess of feeling and emotion, which sort of sends them off on the wrong tracks, maybe, as far as society is concerned. Societies wants to normalise these young people. Um, I actually got the, the idea from a quote from Arthur Lawrence, actually, who was the, the, the writer of West Side Story, the yeah. uh, book writer of West Side Story, and he was asked, "What what is it about these young people? Why why do they do what they do? Uh, why are they violent? Why are they why do they act the way they act?" He said, "Oh, there's too much feeling. Um, they have to find a way of getting it out." And I thought that was quite an interesting way into the story. Very simple. Um, but very true, and um, yeah, it made me go in the direction we've gone in, I think. And it is a great story as well, which lends itself to dances, this love against all the odds as well, yeah. which, is, which must be really inspiring. And storytelling is so important to you within your work as well. Yeah, it's perfect for dance, yeah, because dance is very good at extreme emotions, you know, and uh, Romeo and Juliet's story is certainly full of those, you know, it's full of that, that, that passionate love and um, as you say, you know, uh, love against the odds, uh, several sort of extremes of violence and murder, and you know, it's sort of all those big, big emotions that you know Shakespeare captured very well. You know, young people are so very hot-headed and react very quickly to things. What I tried to capture in it is this idea of young, when young people do sort of fall passionately in love, or they feel that passion maybe the first time they've felt it, 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 they really go overboard in many ways. You know, I, I often, in working on this, I've been thinking about how the classical ballet handles this, where, you know, the girl gets very sort of excited by a little kiss on the cheek. And I think, um, you know, young people today, they, if they're into each other, they're, they're kissing till their mouths are sore. You know, <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit more like that, you know. But try to capture a bit of that. <laughs> uh, and you touched on the world-class team here around you, working again with, mm. with Les and Paulie, which must give it, which must be fantastic for you again, with this yeah. new piece of work as well. How, how are they adapting? What are they bringing to the uh, to the game for this production as well? Well, I, I, I like my team around me. You know, I'm, I feel I'm, I'm happiest creating when I've, I've got my like-minded, uh, well-trusted team around me. So, I, and that makes me uh, feel comfortable in creating. You know, and so it's brilliant to have those people around me. Yet again, um, and of course they bring all their incredible knowledge and um, uh, skill and talent to this, you know, which is it's what we're all used to seeing. But they also bring an enormous creative input uh, to the story as well. And and the, they will question me. They know me well enough to question me 
on um, what we're doing and and does this work and to suggest things as well. I think sometimes with a with a new creative team, people, especially with someone like me who's been working in the business for quite a long time, people are a bit more nervous as bringing forward their suggestions. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it's nice to work with people who really don't have a problem with that. And that's quite <laughs> important. I don't necessarily to be challenged, but to be to sort of take a fresh look at things through the process as well. Yeah, it is. You know, and I, I like to be challenged and I like to have I like to open up the discussion to the whole room actually, the whole company. Even however young the company are. So I want to hear what they have to say because they are the young people, you know, they are the ones who uh, we're telling the story about. So I feel I, I need to listen to them as well. And really interested in the music, you've got Terry back again, but uh, A, he's going to be doing some work on Prokofiev School, and also you've got a live orchestra mm. this time as well. We have. We, we, the, the way we could make it work, and what I really wanted to do artistically was to try and do something a little different with the score, because I felt the score, wonderful though it is, it's very big and lush uh, for a big opera house productions, you know, and... and it suits that style of dancing and that style of production, but this was, I wanted something a little bit more earthy, a little bit more quirky. So we sort of nervously went to the Prokofiev estate and asked them if we could rearrange or do a new arrangement of the Prokofiev. Quite faithful to it. It's very, very, very recognisable, but with different instrumentations. It's, just, it's only 15 musicians who multitask and play lots of different instruments um, playing this uh, score, but, but 15 musicians allows us to to tour with it uh, live. Brilliant that we can actually, um, which is quite rare for us to take out a, a, an orchestra on tour with us uh, at every venue. So that's very exciting. And, and it's sounding wonderful. I hope Coffee of the State are happy. <laughs> uh, but it is a little different, but it's but it, uh, very much recognized breed of the score that people know. And it's that's our guide, you know, that's our scripts, really, that score is wonderful. Now, you've talked quite a lot about involving young people. Let's talk a little bit more about that. First of all, in terms of the, of the dancing on stage, it was very important to you this to, to bring in young people from around the country to be part of this. Yes, yeah. That has been, uh, that was, um, again, one of the ideas that got me excited about doing this was following on from Lord of the Flies, which is mm. played at many of the theatres we're going to, which work with local young men and boys in a, a much more of a, about, it, it was a different uh, approach this time. With Lord of the Flies, we were looking for young men who had an interest in getting involved in theatre and dance, but wouldn't necessarily have to have any uh, training or sure. um, previous background. Uh, this time we were looking for young uh, local talent, who young people who are possibly already in training, but in their earlier years of training, who really want to be dancers and want to be, be performers. So we auditioned the, 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 the upcoming generation, in a way, of dancers around the country and have come up with, with six young people in each city, three, three men and three women, to join us in each, uh, in each venue, which is, uh, you know, it's giving the, the next generation of dancers around the country this incredible experience of being involved in a, in a brand new world premiere, surrounded by other professional dancers, um, and this team of people putting it on is... Uh, once in a lifetime opportunity. And I appreciate we're at a very early stage, but how are, how are the young people rising to the challenge so far? Well, we've been doing some sort of uh, intensive weekends and weeks with, uh, with them around the country, you know, with our team going out and sort of uh, getting them ready for the main rehearsals. That's been going very well. And the, the difficult thing, I guess, has been creating a show, a brand new show, with, with six holes in it, 
you know, sort of <laughs> waiting for these young people to come. But but making a new show with people missing was was something that hadn't quite occurred to me. It took me by surprise a little bit. <laughs> but, oh my goodness, this is crazy. But of course, we we're having to bear in mind as we make the show now that 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 we need to be able to achieve what we're achieving with them in in a one week of rehearsals prior to them going on. But they are sort of involved in a lot of the show. It's, it's again, it's sort of an integral part of the show, not token appearances, you know, so they are part of the, each company will be part of the main company when they come into the show, so that's um, that's a challenge for us. Yeah, and you've got you've got the young associate artists as well, so it's, it's yes. the young people involved sort of throughout the whole process. Yes, um, I'm loving working with my um, associate choreographer, young associate choreographer, Arielle Smith, she's wonderful. Not only is she a great sort of... Uh, up-and-coming talent. I just get on with her very well as yeah. well. We have a laugh, and she's um, yeah, for someone with such an enormous age difference <laughs> between us. You know, it's like thirty years or something. Um, I, I, she's like a mate as well. Yeah. You know, I get on very well with her. She's, she's good fun to work with, and she's incredibly mature for a year in terms of how she's handled this whole process. And there's a lot of her in it. You know, there's a lot of her work in it. Again, she's not just standing by my side watching me work. You know, she's involved in taking rehearsals and uh, creating her own movement that's gone into the show. So she's um, she's been great. And I, I hear from the other creatives I'm working with that they're all enjoying working with their associates as well. And uh, we've all been getting together this week and meeting them. And they seem to be thriving, you know, on, on this opportunity. And I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's quite important to have people of that age there because they can bring that... Uh, sort of that realness yeah. to, to fit in with the characterisation and the story as well. I think so. You know, you can't be, you can't pretend to know everything. You know, as a, as a director, I mean, I know some directors like to think they know everything. <laughs> <laughs> you can possibly, and even sometimes to do with, um, you know, I, I've got Etta Murphy, who I work alongside in my uh, company as my sort of associate director. So sometimes I want to speak to Esther and Ariel about how would a woman feel about something yeah. you know, in this situation. Even that perspective is really important. So I often call upon people around me for advice in these things. And, of course, the young people. Having said that, though, I must say, young dancers, young professional dancers, they are professionals. They're not like wild kids. You know, they're not, <laughs> they're not, they're, they're on a different spectrum to many kids in, in our society today and that they've, they've chosen a career quite early on in their lives and they're trained and they're quite focused people, you know, so uh, we have to do a bit of research as well into, into uh, life today and uh, young people today. Uh, it's not all, it can't all come from these young professional people. No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I just want to reflect back on Lord of the Flies, which was a very sort of similar project. Has it been quite rewarding for you to see sort of many of the young men who went through that process to, to go on and thrive as well? Yeah, at the moment in my company, I've got, in this company, we have at least three guys who were in Lord of the Flies. They've come out, uh, since gone into training and, and have become professional dancers. That's in the professional company. I think there is, there's, there's several in, the, in the, com- the young company coming into the show as well who've gone from Lord of the Flies into uh, Romeo and Juliet. But also my current uh, Swan Lake company has uh, quite a few Lord of the Flies boys in it who came through that and then went to our what we call Swan School where we sort of train young dancers up to audition for Swan Lake. So they've gone through several programs that we, we have to 
uh, nurture young uh, British trained dancers. And uh, this has been ex extremely rewarding and exciting, really, that that's the journey that they've gone on. And we're very proud of those uh, young young guys. Hopefully this time we'll be... We'll, we'll bring some women into the fray as well that would have yeah. nurtured. Yeah, <laughs> so in the future, you know, there'll be more and more people who st started out either in Lord of the Flies or Romeo and Juliet. Hopefully we'll come back into the company. Fantastic. For, for, for an audience and an outside looking at who's perhaps contemplating coming along to see your work or dance indeed for the first time, maybe Romeo and Juliet is the first mm -hmm. time, you're very much about making, I don't like to use the word accessible, but making it yeah. uh, open to people who maybe like musical theatre or drama and, and to as many people yeah. as possible, not kind of closing off dance. Why is that important to you? Well, I, you know, it's, it, it, I don't think dance needs to be scary. You know, mm. I, I think that's the problem for a lot of people. They've almost got it in their heads that it's not something they're going to get. And they're often pretty embarrassed that they're not going to get it. And that doesn't make you feel good. You know, you feel like, like well, what's wrong with me? I can't understand <laughs> it. I don't like that feeling. I don't want people to feel that way. But on the other hand, I don't also want people to think and I want people to uh, have some something to get their teeth into and to think about. Like when you go and see a great um, movie or a play or when you trying to follow the plot of Line of Duty or something, you know, on TV, you know, you, you, you can't just sit back, oh, it's all easy, easy, you know, it's, it is actually, it is challenging in some ways, but audiences have grown to love that in our work, I think, um, all over the country, they'd be, they'd be surprised if they, um, if it was, if it was quite straightforward, you know, they want there to be the twists and things, and there are some twists in this version, but it's all very clear and very easy to follow, I would say, in terms of the story. I mean, the thing that's coming across at the moment in the house is this, this incredible energy of the performers and the performance and the fast-moving nature of it. And the, it does, it does, as we set out to do, I mean, this is only in the last couple of days I started to feel this, it does express this thing we were trying to do, which is this incredible youthful energy that, that um, the show sort of explodes with. So that's that's very exciting for audiences. But certainly, I, I would say this, don't, you don't have to read up on Romeo and Juliet before you see it, because we do change the plot a bit. <laughs> so don't think that's going to be uh, completely helpful. We do have sort of parallels with the story. And it's, uh, you know, it, it has, it's a Romeo and Juliet type story, I would think. Finally, I just wanted to reflect back because you've had an amazing 12 months. Swan Lake has, has done tremendously well. You've had your Olivier Award as you look back on the last 12 months and, and look forward to Romeo and Juliet. How, how are you sort of feeling about things generally for you, you at the moment? Yeah, you're right. It's been amazing. Swan Lake coming back is always a thrill because it does introduce so many more new people to dance and to our company. You know, and it's, it always has an incredible effect on audiences around the country and, and, and the cast also devoted to it. It's always been something they've dreamt of being in, you know, so it's a lovely experience always. And then, uh, yeah, in the middle of all that, getting the, the Olivia Special Award. Actually, it was quite interesting getting that in the middle of creating a new show. Yeah. It's rather good because sometimes those awards feel a little like it's, your, you know, it's the end of your career. You get something <laughs> saying thank you and stop. Please stop. <laughs> I actually felt... <laughs> it felt great to be in the middle of a new creation thinking well this is great and it's lovely to be recognised in that way and I did enjoy it but I'm actually making a new piece you know and that, that actually feels great it feels, you know, it feels about the past but also about the future at the same time and it's been uh, what started out being quite a scary project this project with, with the, the 
surrounding differences that it involves so many um, untested talent and, and young people that I didn't know very well. Um, so there's a lot of un unknowns about this. It's ended up being, I think, rather an exciting new show. You know, I feel I'm feeling good about it at the moment, although we've not really even finished it yet. Yeah, there's an excitement about it. And, it, you know, at the beginning of a rehearsal period, everyone is telling you, oh, it's so exciting, it's so exciting. All I could think was, no, it's just really scary. <laughs> but now I'm starting to feel excited. That's the end of our show this month. Thanks to Charlotte Woolsey, Libby Watson, Joe Ballard, Chris Gribble, Neil McKenna, and, of course, Matthew Bourne. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Acast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let us know what you liked and what you want to hear in future episodes. Thank you very much for listening to Interval, the Norwich Theatre Royal podcast. <laughs>